upside down. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Map, the Mental Health and Addiction Podcast. My name is Zandy Bernstein, co-host and moderator, and joining me as always is my partner in crime, Kristen Perry Long, whoop, whoop. as also the great Willie Drinkwater. I'm going to let both of these guys tell you a little bit about themselves before we get started with our uh, well, show. Equal rights, but ladies first. That's right. <laughs> equal rights, All right, but Chris, ladies who are, who are you, Chris? Uh, who am I? Well, today I am Chris Perry Long, and I work for Aware Recovery Care, which is an IHAP model of um, addiction treatment. Okay. It stands for in-home treatment. Uh, Thank you. We have a um, year-long program, and we meet the clients where they're at in their homes. And we have a client side and a family side, and it's awesome. And yeah. And, and you're also a dedicated, and you're a dedicated parent who has been. Yep. Um, experience addiction issues and mental health issues firsthand. Yep. Two kids in recovery. Whoop, whoop. Okay. Whoop, whoop. And Willie? And I am Willie Drinkwater. I'm an educator for the University of Massachusetts, Boston, otherwise known as Harvard by the Sea, in the Addiction Counseling Education Program. Uh, and uh, I have a private practice up in Beverly, Mass, which has been on teletherapy remote since since the end of March. And uh, I, I work with addiction and co-occurring disorders. So in other words, uh, other mental health pieces uh, in addition to addiction. So and, a lot, and for many, many years, like like you've been in long-term sobriety for what, like 35 uh, years? 34 years, years now. Yeah, 34 years. And so you know what you speak. You know what you speak. Uh, I've, yeah, I've been doing this a few months now. You know, okay. I'm f- feeling feeling comfortable, you know, uh, with it and stuff. So, yeah. Cool. Well, and as for me, I've been in the media industry uh, for a long time, and I created somehow created a uh, an addiction radio show with former NHL player Kevin Stevens. And um, this world has become very passionate to me. So we're all trying to do our part to to help bring awareness and and stigma and create action for people or try to help create action for people to get it, uh, seek help and uh, recovery and all that good stuff. So um, so having said that, before we get started with our guest, Kathy Markey from the Samaritans, I said it right, she's in our waiting room, Kathy Markey. Um, I did wanna get your take on something of a less serious nature before we get into talking about a much, much deeper topic. Um, so the CDC right now has some new guidelines about um, Halloween and they've come out. They feel that Halloween has become a moderate risk mm. for potentially picking up COVID. So they've talked about doing grab and grab and go trick or treat packs for kids um, outside costume parades where everyone is six feet apart instead of haunted houses. They are suggesting haunted forests. They are suggesting you go out and look for witches, spider webs, black cats outside. They also believe, you know, that the obviously the traditional Halloween um, is not a good thing to do during this time period. So I'm just throwing it out to you guys for just a little uh, icebreaker. What do you think of this? Honestly. Yeah. I think it's stupid. Why is it stupid? <laughs> because, I mean, yeah, okay, you know what? So you don't go trick-or-treat and, and put your hand in the bowl and I get all that. That's fine. But haunted forest? So what? You go into the forest and you have to wait for the other family to come out of the forest? That's like going you know? to babysit pumpkins. Like, here, let's go babysit pumpkins. And right? Sit there. Let's, right. Let's go watch ice melt in the Antarctica. Right. That's tough. I mean, I get it. I get it. I'm not a Halloween person, but Chris, I had a feeling you would have commentary on Halloween. Just oh, my kids you. are already my grandkids are already like, is there Halloween? Are they going to cancel it? Da-da-da. I mean, we're in week two of, uh, of virtual learning. And I'm telling you right now, <clears throat> we think we've got a substance abuse problem now. Wait until like mo- a month into it, because this is just insane how this is going down. It's not working. Like this virtual hybrid learning is not working. It's not working. It's William, 
What say yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, the younger the student, the less benefit they get from it, too. So, I mean, if you, you know, if you're a junior or senior in high school, then, yeah, maybe you can, you know, sophomore even, you, know, you might be able to get. But the younger the age, I mean, the harder it is to try to keep them focused in. I mean, that's I'm talking about Halloween. I don't want to hear about that. I want to talk about Halloween. I want to know what your take is on the Halloween. Probably my take is the same, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, my 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 children are my my children now are thirty three and thirty eight. So you know, it's it's not not really an issue that I tend to think about at all. You know, I mean, but my, do the my kids young... come to your house? Do they come to your house? Do they bang yeah, on your door? Yeah, no. I mean, in all the years that we've lived here and stuff, we've probably only had like three families in fourteen years that came by the house. I mean, it's. Oh, they come by my house, and you know what I do? I do the grab-and-go snacks and turn off the lights and pretend okay. nobody's home. So I just put the pumpkin stuff. So anyway, I'm just throwing anyway, it out there. Wait, a funny story, Andy? Yes. So I couldn't tell you how many years ago, but um, it was quite some time ago. Uh, there was a home Patriots game on Halloween. And the week before, I went in front of our selectmen and said, hey, you know what? it's the game gets out at like four o'clock. It was a one o'clock game. So it was like peak trick or treating time. Right. And I said, you know, we need to change Halloween in Foxborough for the day, you know, for whatever, for the year. Mm. Um, Let it be known that kids are not going to be trick or treating because there's a lot of residential roads that people, and and then they weren't so blocked off the way they are now. Mm. But so I went in front of the select men and I thought it was a great idea. Right. So, yeah, we put an announcement out that there was going to be no Halloween. Uh, Halloween was going to be, I don't know, the next day or something in Foxborough. Well, I didn't even get home from that meeting, from going in front of the selectmen for community service time or whatever it was. And I had two different news stations messages on my voicemail at home. Like it, it was crazy news. It was like the news of the century. I People love them into, some Halloween. I, I mean, I even got into um, whatever the sports magazine was at the time. And I did a TV interview on channel five or seven or something because it was like the news of the day. It's well, the best, the best was we moved Halloween to whatever day they moved Halloween. I think it was like the next day. And people were calling the police department the next, the ne- that day complaining because they had run out of candy because people from other towns came to our town and trick-or-treated and people ran out of candy. Like it was, so I am known as the woman who changed Halloween in Foxborough. I knew you had a comment on it. I knew that was really more for you. I knew you're kind of a Halloween princess. So therefore- I had two of my my kids' classmates, you know, um, come trick-or-treating. They were in high school at the time. They're like, this is long. Could you change Christmas too, please? <laughs> there you go. Be all powerful. Yeah, I can remember when, when I was growing up, you'd rent a U-Haul, you'd go to two or three countries. I mean, you know, it was it was a big deal back in the sixties yeah. and the early seventies. I mean, yeah. you're, you're really dating police that they run out of candy. Like, like it's a big candy. holiday. It's a big retail holiday too. No, in all honesty. Yeah. All right, we've talked way too much about Halloween for a holiday I don't like. All right. Let's, let's go. I'm 46, but I'm dyslexic, you know? So, okay. Yeah, go all right. ahead. All right. All right. Let's meet our guest today. Um, I was trying to provide a little levity because we're actually going to talk about something serious pretty, topic. pretty yeah. serious. So I was trying to, like, lighten the mood up a little bit. Let's meet Kathy Markey. Kathy is the executive director of the Samaritans. She represents their life-saving suicide prevention mission to external audiences at city, state, regional, national, and international levels. She collaborates with other organizations in the suicide prevention community, corporate partners, and legislative leaders in Massachusetts to further raise awareness that suicide is preventable. And with this being National Suicide Prevention Month, we really wanted Kathy to join us today to share with us more information about the Samaritans, the life-saving services they provide. So, Kathy, welcome to the map. Welcome. You're muted. Okay, there we are. All right, there you are. Um, so, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. 
I was enjoying. So, I'm enjoy. I was enjoying the earlier conversation about Halloween. <laughs> our, our banter. I know. Well, we try to do that because we're we all have a sure. lot of different opinions. We're a little. It's a little bit of an odd group. Eclectic. Um, eclectic. We like the eccentric. <laughs> eccentric. Um, yes. On our show a lot, Kathy, we talk about, um, you know, obviously mental health and addiction and we, you know, um, Willie and Chris can speak to this more, but co-occurring disorders is something we talk a lot about and talking about how um, mental health and addiction are really tied, obviously tied together. And so, um, you know, with, you know, suicide being a, um, a part of all this, a major part of this, um, we know right now that uh, suicide rates are rising to historic heights, and that was even before the COVID. Now, um, it has been reported, and obviously you can speak more to this, but uh, the uh, National Alliance on Mental Health Hotline Helpline reports a 65% increase in calls to them, even though it's not a crisis for people or mm-hmm. uh, aligned for people in crisis. And that has been since March. So being the executive director of the Samaritans, can you speak firsthand on what is going on out here with the rise in suicides and what is available to help people? Sure. Well, first of all, uh, thank you for having this conversation. Uh, you know, This is one of the first steps and one of the most important things we can do to help reduce the incidence of suicide is talk about mental health uh, issues, including addiction, depression, uh, co-occurring illnesses. So, um, you know, what we're seeing, what we've seen since March has been a really steep increase. Um, Initially in March, it was was high, um, stayed at a high level uh, for a longer period of time than we normally see. So during certain crises in the past, we've seen a spike in calls and outreach to uh, the helpline. And then that generally comes down after even a few days, maybe you know five or six days. Um, this is sustained. And what that tells us, right, is that it, this is the sustained stress that we're all feeling, that people are under. And so, um, the long-term impact of the pandemic, um, the additional stressors that we're all dealing with, whether that's children at home dealing with addiction, certainly um, everybody is seeing these spikes in all of the services that you all represent and talk about. Um, all of these factors uh, worry us about the helpline, you know, in particular worry us a lot because we think that we're probably 12 or 18 months out uh, from what might be the highest level uh, of calls and, and need for support. Um, so most people know Samaritans as a 24-7 helpline for suicide prevention. Um, I do hope that people also know that many of those who call us are not suicidal, um, but they are dealing with other issues. They are dealing with various stressors. They are dealing with addiction. They're trying to stay sober. They're Um, you know, working on their sobriety, they're working on all kinds of relationships and circumstances, people are facing, you know, depression and uh, isolation, certainly, Um, so that people, you know, know to call us during those, for those reasons as well. Um, And, you know, and they reach out to us, because we think that's really how we can be helpful. What what are some of the statistics out there? I want to hear from Willie and Chris, too, but what are some of the statistics out there right now that you can share just to give people an idea like this is you know becoming an epidemic i mean this is an epidemic as well i would say yeah it absolutely is so i would say uh you know from our standpoint our increase in calls was almost uh 30 percent over last year starting in march um in in terms yeah in terms of our text uh, uh program I'm receiving texts from people. Uh, just to give you a sense of that, I think it's about 70, 75, 76% increase. But just to give you real numbers, in January, we hit a high of uh, just under 1,000 text conversations in the month of January 2020. And we imagined that by summer, we would be handling somewhere over 1,000 we hit 1700, almost 1700 text conversations in May. Now, wow. if, 
come down a little bit, but um, but you know we're not you know we're still at uh, thirteen hundred or something. Are those so, calls just from Massachusetts? Those are text conversations text. in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. Yeah. Wow. So, right. So, so that's so microcosm, right? What does your staff look like? What is your number of staff that are coping with these these calls? Right. I mean, you so know, we've not have in, you gone. Yeah, we have, we've gone remote. We went remote right away in March as everybody had to. Um, all of our programs, all three of our programs, I'd love to tell you a little more about those in a minute, but- Absolutely. Helpline, yeah, the helpline itself um, is, a, is run by volunteers. So what we've done to manage this is get, you know, we had about 30 volunteers who could handle remote conversations for us um, in the event that we had a big snowstorm, right? We never had a need for, we have a, a phone room here on West Street in Boston um, volunteers came here 24 hours a day to answer calls. In March, we started training everybody on the remote platforms that we needed. And we now have uh, about 200 volunteers who are handling wow. calls 24 seven, text, chat and phone from homes, offices uh, all over. In fact, some of them are not even in Massachusetts anymore because it's remote. People are coming back to support our work who have moved to, you know, California, Chicago, Florida, wherever. Um, wow. And, and so there's about 200 people, um, you know, available, and we're tra and we're training more people more quickly. We've also had a lot of people reach out to say, "How can I help?" And um, so, in addition to supporting our work, there are people who are in line uh, to be trained, and and that's um, going to help us, you know, respond uh, to this increased demand. But just to answer your question a little bit further, Andy, just yeah. you know, the CDC released uh, a survey that they did um, in, in a short period of time in June and not to a huge population, but it, there was an increase in the number of people who had seriously thought about suicide in the previous 30 days. That number was 11% up from last year when it was at 4%. Wow. wow. So that's a huge increase. And the numbers were even higher when you're talking about young people between uh, 18 and 24. And so, higher still for young people, young black, uh, young black youth. Let me ask you a question. Uh, how much of, um, you know, there's so many questions I have. And I know, you know, I want to talk to you about addiction and, 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 and how it coped. Uh, corresponds or the, the correlation and I'll let Willie and Chris talk about that. But I also wanted to find out how does social media factor into this mm. and does it, the social media, uh, Facebook, um, does it create depression? Does it cause, mm. um, does it lead to, um, you know, suicidal thoughts? So my answer to that would be, um, not really, or not directly. So okay. I think that what we worry about is that, you know, we, we hear, you know, perhaps a, I think it's a myth to, to draw that particular line. Okay. Um, but what I'll say this, um, suicide is not a reaction or a response to one event. It, it may be what we could think of, and this is probably not the right phrase exactly, but you know, kind of a perfect storm of things where you have somebody who is despairing, depressed, perhaps dealing with addiction or a lapse, um, who has other either di diagnosed or, or undiagnosed mental illness. And then an event occurs that feels like it is the cause of suicide, but it's generally not. And what we've learned from people, from both um, people who treat um, uh, those who, who face suicide, uh, suicide ideation, um, and people who have survived an attempt, um, they're, they're in, a, in that like perfect storm, right? It's all those things happening at once and a feeling of despair and ha having um, no other solution that they can access that, okay. that, they, that they can see 
And so that is generally the, the circumstances that occur. So it's not that one thing. I and mean, sometimes people say, you know, he lost his job. Uh, she, you know, had this event occur in her life, uh, you know, whatever it was. It's generally not that one thing. It's that there have been this um, accumulating or cumulative impact. So I have a question. I mean, and I don't know if this is, you know, so COVID related mm-hmm. with the inability to be able to go with your loved one to the hospital. Has that, has that like, have you seen a spike of, of, of coincidence with mm-hmm. that, you know, and then the loved one passes away and, and they're, yeah. they never yeah. got to say goodbye, you know? Right. So uh, we have seen sustained, um, you know, conversation around all things COVID related, pandemic, isolation, all of those factors. But again, I think that what I would say about that is that that's probably going to be where we see the long term impact where people are unable to access um, the uh, cultural traditions or the personal um, uh, process that is involved in, you know, honoring a loved one lost. So, you know, yes, uh, many of us grew up, you know, if someone is is not well or is dying, we go and we wanna be with them. We want the opportunity to say goodbye. We wanna sit with our loved ones, our family and, and friends. We wanna show our support. Not being able to do that is the kind of thing that I believe in the long term will add to this feeling of oh, interesting. Uh, the pandemic, right? You know, yeah. all of the things, all of the, um, uh, you know, routines or celebrations or the honoring of someone over a long period of time, that missing those things um, may in fact be hard for people. And I think, um, you know, those are the kinds of things that maybe, you know, months out, we're going to see people really struggling to cope with. I didn't get to say goodbye or they left our house, uh, you know, in an ambulance and then that was it. That was the last time I saw them you know, that person. So I think long-term that may be the issue. That's a great a, question. Go ahead, Willie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have, a, I, I have a question also. I mean, I know the CDC a few years ago, they come out with their annual uh, report on on on, uh, on uh, suicide. And they were, they were saying that two out of three men will complete on the first attempt where women, it's one out of three. Are you finding, are you finding now, what's the proportion of woman, you know, uh, women callers as opposed to men? Is it, is it staying, you know, is there... Because because yeah. men will talk to you all day long about addiction, but not mental health. And women tend to go the other way. They'll talk right. mental health before addiction because there's still a greater stigma to women that have addiction than that than men. But uh, you know, so I mean, often often oftentimes with men, they don't talk about it. It builds up. It builds up, and then right. they tend to go lethal too. You know, right? That's exactly things. right. But, but are you seeing yeah. that now with the phone calls? Now is it more is it more uh, women than men talking, or is it? So, you know, we don't, because it's a, a, confident, a confidential and um, line, you know, we don't, we don't keep st- statistics unless someone divulges something, right. you know, we don't have a record. Um, but I would say um, that we're, it's fairly consistent with the people who are calling us, but the volume, the demand is higher. Um, and you are, you know, 100% correct about the number of deaths is higher in men, suicide deaths, because of the means that they choose versus the number of women who attempt mm-hmm. um, or consider suicide. So that's absolutely correct. And I think but, you're right about the stigma attached to both. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But why, do men, why do you think men are more, um, can you hear me okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, now. Yeah, now. Yeah. Everybody here? Okay, why Why do you think men are more prone to uh, suicide men 50 plus? I think it's a societal thing, too. You know, men are supposed to, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. What, you know, what if, men don't get depressed. They just get wicked tired. You know, like like a lot of times they'll say, no, I'm just tired. And it's like, you know, you've been tired for two months now. You haven't left the house. You know, no, I'm fine. Just leave me alone. So, right. so, so men have a much harder time because of the societal things. The big thing I see, too, is like when, uh, uh, you know, you have families and stuff and the kids grow up and they move out, then a lot of times, 
you know, mom and dad, the relationship is is over because everything was based on the kids. And I've seen that where, you know, I, I've had several several male friends that that did take themselves out, you know, after after the kids had left the house because they didn't have a relationship really except you know with their wife it was the kids you know the the kids grow up and they move out and you know the the wife looks at the husband the husband at the wife and it's like who are you you know Mm -hmm. and it's like all of a sudden there's this there's this feeling of loss now so but that's that's how how does the male i'm sorry how does the male ego factor into this you're 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 all a mess yeah you're You're a mess yeah your your microphone microphone sorry hold on yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if it's ego so much as it's just been, you know, the societal pattern, you know, men, you know, like men, men want to fix everything. You know, when, you know, if you talk to a man, they want to fix you. Women want to be heard. Like a lot of times, you know, I'm not asking you to fix me, honey. I'm just asking you to hear me out, you know, right. and stuff. But, you know, men, men, you know, they're supposed to be able to fix it and pick themselves up by the bootstraps. And I shouldn't have to ask for help. And, you know, that's so funny but that you being say a that. provider. That's what I meant being a provider i'm sorry go ahead chris go it's 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 so funny that you say that willie because you know um i can't remember what the incident was but oh i know i i live in my parent my mom's 90 my father's 90 my mom's 87 88 and i live in fear they live in florida i haven't seen them since the whole covid thing and i live in fear of them dying and not being able to see them and my husband and I had a real conversation about it and he was, and he flat out said, he goes, I'm the fixer. I can't fix this. You know, I want to go see them, but I also don't want to bring COVID to them and kill them. Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's so, that's so crazy that you just said that. Right. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Andy. I, I was going to say when I didn't say male ego, what I, what I meant to say was really about the need to be a provider. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The need the need to provide to say, you know, um, I because I know a lot of guys my age who are, you know, they kind of they kind of plateaued a little bit. I'm 50. Right. I'm starting to see guys my age starting to um, kind of become a little bit of it is what it is kind of thing. And yeah, maybe it could be really hard to work with, you know, like 50 and over a lot of times because people begin to seal over. And it can be really hard, especially with, with guys, to try to get them to really talk feelings. You know, and it's it's not a concrete number, obviously, but it, at 50, for some reason, it's like it starts to seal over and it gets even harder for for guys to try to even access their emotion and what it's about. Do you see a lot of that, Kathy? Yeah, I think that you're all, you know, spot on, you know, in this way, too, you know, is that um, we don't uh, we haven't done a particularly good job as a. Um, a culture as a society and training our young people to talk about their feelings. I think we're getting better at it. I think we've, you know, started to to do that more both in schools and in our families, right? Um, but not all cultures. And um, I think, you know, what we see is, um, you know, exactly what Willie and Chris were both saying, what you were all saying, you know, you get to a certain point in life and you're kind of, you know, these are the tools you have. And a lot of men don't have those tools to talk about emotions or talk about things that they're going through. It's not, it's not something that we, you know, we like to identify in men and that's a mistake. And I think that's part of why, um, you know, people get to a point where they're struggling with something and they don't know how to manage it. And, and I do think that suicide is an, a very preventable form of death because if we knew to talk about it, we knew how to find help, we would we would be able to reduce the incidents. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, what I love about Samaritans, um, you know, our organization is that we do have this three pronged approach. And part of it is about education. And what I dream of is that, you know, we're educating people, young and old, corporate settings, school settings, and the goal there is to give people the language and give people the um, you know the myths and the risk factors and the stuff that you need to know in order um, to be able to help yourself and help somebody else who's struggling. Yeah. Oh yeah, there was so a book out. I, uh, I also have a question. Thank you. 
Yeah, yeah. Go there ahead. was a book, a, a book out years ago. Men are from Mars, women are from yeah. Venus, and it was talking <laughs> about the communication skills. Yeah. And it's 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 crazy in my house because you know I'm from Venus and my wife is from Mars. My my wife's <laughs> always trying to tell me how to fix something, and it's like I just want you to hear me out, you know. And it's it's just opposite roles, but <laughs> talking about society, you know, as, as a society, how we tend to communicate, you know, yeah. and stuff. So, um, Kathy, I, I, I'm gonna. You know, I think, and I don't know if this is a, a population right now where there should be, you know, with an aging baby boomer population, um, you know, um, experiencing loss of a spouse or a loved one. Um, I have a neighbor right now who um, lost his partner after 33 years. And every regularly, I, all I'm going to do is wrap that up and then I'm out of here. Right. We get it all the time. It's like. I, and it's like, and I, and like my wife and I say, like, well, what do you do? He won't stop drinking. He won't give up alcohol. He won't give up smoking weed. He finds that as a coping mechanism. So how do you advise somebody in that position to say, who, who talks about ending his life? How do, how do you, how do you actually help that person? Is it a cry for help? Yeah. Is it real? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's absolutely real. I would, um, I would take every and all uh, mentions, indications of someone considering suicide seriously. Um, and you know, one of the things we try to talk about and teach is those steps to take. You know, which is to ask somebody. You know, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing that you're struggling. I'm seeing. You know, and identifying what what it is that you're seeing, um, and it worries me about you. I'm worried. Uh, uh, you know, that, you, that you're struggling. So I wanna ask you really directly, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? And then you wanna go from there, right? If the answer is yes, have you thought about when you might do that? And if somebody says, you know, within the next, you know, 24 hours, then, you know, you've got an acute situation, you wanna um, immediately engage professional support and help, including 911, if that's what you need. Um, you know, want to try to plan with somebody, will you, so I'm hearing you, I'm hearing that you are thinking about suicide and you're thinking about doing it in the next 24 hours. Do you have means? Do you have, have you thought about how you would do that? When somebody tells you they've got a loaded gun or they've got pills stockpiled, again, really, really serious, acute, you want to get help right away. Um, you know, someone so might you say, you know, I you don't avoid, you don't avoid asking those not difficult avoid, questions. Right. Right. It's a big myth, Chris, that people, and I, you know, I have to say, you know, when I first started to learn all this, it was completely outside of my realm of, you know, imagining that you would ever ask somebody such a direct question if you were not a professional, right? You know, if you right. were a therapist or a doctor. Um, but we know that oftentimes people are reaching out for help and they're trying to get some reaction and get some help. And they'll say things like, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to wrap this all up and, and, you know, get out of here. And when they are saying that they're sort of testing, like, what's the, what's the response going to be, you know, what's the reaction of somebody I'm talking to. Um, so they may very well be looking for help. And when we ask the question directly, they're relieved to be able to say, I am, I am just so okay. lost right now. I am so depressed. I am so fed up that, uh, you know, I am thinking about taking my life because I want, you know, people report, this, this is about ending their pain. This is not right. about ending their life. It's about right. ending their pain. Yeah. Right? So if you're in, and so that's why even, you know, again, another, um, you know, myth is if I, if I say this, am I going to suggest suicide to somebody? No, you're not, you're not likely to no. be suggesting anything they haven't already thought about. Right. Um, so, um, so it's, it's, it's important to be direct, um, and it can be really scary. And one of the things we try to do in our program when we're educating is help people kind of get those words out of your mouth for the first time, right? It's really hard to imagine saying that to somebody, but once you know that you're not going to cause more harm, um, in fact, you might be the person who's offering help, you know, and then the next question is, I want to help you. I care about you. I don't want anything to happen to you. I want to be here and help you through this. So let's figure out what that's going to be. Would you alert a family member? 
because we're not his family. And, yeah. and so for us, you know, this is going on for Andy, like Andy, your years. mic is terrible. Fix your mic. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for calling me out on our show right now. I really <laughs> love you, buddy. I love you, but your mic is terrible. We can't hear you. you. You you know what? Uh, uh, we're going to try something a side new. Um, I think a side note also that we need to talk about, too, is that when you're working in facilities, when you're working in the detoxes or the 30 day programs, there can be there can be, uh, you know, signs and symptoms of possible suicidality that aren't verbal. You know, when right. you get when you right. get somebody, you know, they've got a few meager belongings left to them on Earth and they're giving, you know, they're giving to another client, you know, the watch that was their father's. I mean, that's right. That can be that's a real setup. You know, when you see them starting to give away the few belongings that they have, it, it's a nonverbal. I mean, I, I, I saw that at Caspar years ago and stuff where they'd be like, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it would be they wouldn't say that they wouldn't tell you flat out. You know, I mean, sometimes yeah. if you saw that going on and you pull them into a room and it's like, hey, you know, what's going on, you know, and stuff. And they just look at you and it's like, why are you giving your stuff away? So, I mean, you you, you have to try to tease it out, but sure. there could be nonverbal signs, the isolation and now nah, I'm fine. I just want to be by myself. And it's like, whoa, you know, so. Yeah. Well, but now with the holiday season coming up, obviously that presents a whole new kettle of fish right now. Oh, Do you- I, I'm dreading it. I'm dreading it. I'm dreading I, it. I, I just have to ask, ask though, uh, you know, from, from what I've read over the years and, and uh, correct me and stuff, but, you know, Christmas time isn't, isn't the biggest suicide time of the year. I've, I've always heard that, you know, end of summer going into September is usually the number mm-hmm. one time of the year for suicide because everything's changing. You know, kids are going back to school or going off and p- people are moving on. But, but, but what have you found, uh, Kathleen? Yeah, you know, you're you're right. It's not the holiday season or the winter as you know, we might imagine, you know, Mm -hmm. it's dark and cold and lonely and all those things. We actually um, understand and see that spring is the hardest time for many people. And that's because we expect to feel better in spring, right? We're coming out of winter, we're expecting to feel you know, some sense of, you know, rejuvenation, spring is here, the sun is out, it's getting warm, you know, we want to feel better. And we don't necessarily, um, you know, many of us struggle in that time of year as much as any other. And it sort of feels like we're out of sync with everybody else who's, you know, excited that it's, um, it's spring and we're not, you know, so that I think that's one of the, um, one of the myths again that it, you know it's it's uh, although i don't disagree with any of you that i think the holidays are going to be hard this year i think people are going to be struggling with a lot of things including the financial impact of the pandemic and what that feels like and why that makes you know traditions harder um you know or unable to keep those things you know the same as in the past and that gets hard um, but I, but I think spring may very well be uh, the time where we could see the, the greatest impact of all of this. To be honest, um, as far as the state level, do you feel like the state is, um, you know, uh, is there support coming from on the state state level, state of Massachusetts level? Do you feel like um, we're making progress in that area of support for this? Topic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we are. And I think, you know, Massachusetts, we happen to be quite um, fortunate in that there are, you know, there there's access to good mental health care, good health care. Uh, there's a high level of education in the Northeast in Massachusetts. So there's a lot of, and we have strong, um, uh, strong gun laws. Um, so those are factors that uh, you know, in Massachusetts, make it uh, safer for us. And um, there are parts of the country that struggle more. Um, we do have support from the state government and, and that's terrific. And we get a lot of, I mean, you know, in, in Boston, certainly, um, you know, there's a lot of support from city and, and local and state government. Um, so they, you know, they're quick to push out our number quick to make sure that they, you know, remind people if you are feeling, you know, lonely or despairing to call Samaritans, you know, they're quick to remind people that, um, that they don't have to do this alone. They don't have to figure it out alone. So, 
um, we're grateful for that support uh, for sure. You may have heard, um, you know, this 988 uh, number that's um, been approved and will be coming out. So the 988 number is the equivalent of 911. So we all have grown up knowing, right? Even our youngest um, kids are, you know, at five years old, know 911 if somebody is sick or there's a fire or an accident. 988 is the me the equivalent for mental health emergencies. Now, what does that look like going forward, and how does that actually roll out, and and what's required isn't clear yet. Um, but we do think that it is going to have a massive impact on helplines like ours, where many more people will be able to remember the number, and because of the promotion of the number, many more people will be encouraged to reach out for help. All great, right? All all good. I didn't even know about it. That, okay. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like two one one, right? It's like yeah. two one one. Two one one was. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that the bill that that was initiated by by Seth Moulton? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So, Kath, yeah. Kathleen, before we run out of time, you are you started to like touch on your three pong. Yeah. Uh, mm. Can you can you dive into that? Yeah, yeah, sure, thank you. Um, so right, we, most people know us as the helpline. Um, I started to talk a little bit about our community education and outreach program. And what I love about that, as I said, is that this is for me the long-term, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the long-term benefit of educating people, both young and old, on how to talk about emotions, mental health, um, what their needs are, how to communicate with people, what to look for, those signs, you know, that Willie mentioned, you know, even, you know, giving away prized possessions, you know, looking for care, you know, who's going to take care of mom and dad, who's going to take care of my pet, any of those kinds of things. When we educate people, um, what we hope is that they will take care, better care of themselves and be able to take care of others or at least know when they need to reach out for help, right? You don't have to be responsible for someone. Um, it's like um, doing uh, CPR. You know, you're not a medical professional once you've been trained in CPR, but you might save someone's life by stepping in at a critical moment. And so with that knowledge, we hope that people will then be able to reach out to a family member, call 911, alert a trusted adult when we're talking about kids, reach out to somebody in your workplace, um, your employee assistance program if you think a colleague is struggling, all of those things. So our community education and outreach program and all of our programs are free. And we love to connect with, with uh, you know, opportunities to do those programs. So we're always looking for a chance to share what we know about suicide and suicide prevention with people. And the third program addresses another really important population. It's um, grief support services for, some, for people who have lost someone um, to suicide. And, the grief journey is so unique and really quite different than other grief journeys. And so we think it's really, really important. And we know that the people who join us for those meetings um, really appreciate being able to talk openly uh -huh. and, and feel very safe in their conversation about what they're experiencing um, once they've lost someone to suicide. And those meetings are all run by suicide loss survivors for suicide loss survivors. So it's really a very special time um, for them to connect. And, you know, people who have lost someone to suicide are at higher risk for suicide themselves. So again, we think of it as another prong of this approach for suicide prevention, because we need to support in a particular way, um, those friends and family members. So. Yeah, I mean, I know up on the North Shore shore here, there's uh, Care Dimensions, and they run all different type of grief support groups, including ones that we're talking about now. So. Yeah, great, great. Yeah. Mm, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough topic. It's, it's something we all skate around. Yeah, yeah, that's part of the problem, right? You know, is that because we are, you know, we've all grown up, there are certain topics we don't want to talk about. And this is still one of them, but what you're doing today by having this conversation is helping to break down that stigma. And the more we do this, yeah. the, the further we'll go, you know, Absolutely. on that, you know. Absolutely. So I appreciate that you're all so in tune to it and wanting to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I had another question. I definitely want to hear about your um, 
you know, some of the things that you have coming up yes. um, from an organizational standpoint and a number where people can reach out. But before yeah. we do that, I also wanted to talk about the correlation. Um, you know, I was mentioning uh, before we started uh, a friend of mine who suffered with bipolar, but I also knew mm -hmm. he had a painkiller um, uh, addiction and he ended up uh, uh, succumbing to his the mental illness he struggled mm -hmm. against. Well, what does that mean? Uh, is it either a suicide or is it an overdose? Did he commit suicide? Are they one and the same? Like, what is the correlation um, between addiction mm -hmm. and and suicide? Like, does is there a relationship between the two? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, to the extent that we know that um, uh, you know a loss of sobriety is a risk factor. Um, uh, you know. Uh, abuse of alcohol and drugs lowers inhibition, um, might lead to a more irrational decision or choice. Um, so like any other co-occurring condition, it is a risk factor. And so there is a correlation, um, but it's not the only one in it. Um, you know, again, like we talked about before, it might be a kind of perfect storm of circumstances, but, um, but I think you all, you know, can speak yeah, yeah. to that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it can, it can, can really get you thinking. How many, how many overdoses are, are a suicide without a note? I mean, mm -hmm. it's right. it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to try to calculate yeah. that, figure it out. Right, and we don't always know, and I think that's why sometimes the numbers are not really clear because right. we don't actually know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the um, numbers are not the numbers are not right. That's just like the overdose numbers, the the fatal overdose numbers. Yeah. I mean, you know, people go in, and hospitals don't want to be associated with substance abuse, so it's you know, uh, they they pass because of respiratory distress. You know, that's how it's labeled. When in fact, they came in in respiratory distress due to uh, an exceeding amount of of drugs. Yeah, right. But right. Um. Okay, so now you have some things coming up that I wanted to, to hear from as well to share if somebody wants to help support the organization. What are some of the ways that Great. people can help? Yeah, awesome. Thank you for the opportunity to share those things. So, um, you know, we're always looking for volunteers. If you're interested, you can find information on our website. Um, the, the website is samaritanshope.org. Um, so always looking for volunteers. If people would like to make a donation, they can do so on the website. Um, if people are interested in our services, there's information so they can either help us host an event for the community education and outreach program. Um, if people need grief support services, there's information on the website, they can connect with us there. The other big thing happening on this Saturday, the 26th, um, in honor of Suicide Prevention Month and in honor of loved ones lost, we have our Samaritans 5K Run Walk. Um, it is virtual this year. So um, we're asking people, of course, to join us virtually, form a team, take a walk with a loved one, someone you care about. One of the most important things about this event is the honoring of loved ones um, for the people who participate in the walk. And so we really want have been kind of reimagining the event and finding ways to celebrate those, those people. And um, it's just incredible what people are doing, uh, you know, to, to, to come together and fundraise through the, the Samaritans 5K um, with us. So if there's a great auction on there, so if people are interested and wanna, you know, are thinking, how do I help and how do I support Samaritans? Hmm. Um, join us, you know, for the 5K, make a donation to someone's team or, is there a Facebook page for that event? Is it There's out of Facebook pages? Yep, Samaritans 5K is the event page. Um, okay. But uh, SamaritansHope.org is uh, the org um, page. And again, you know, where I really I want everybody to know. Of course, please reach reach out to us if in any way we can be helpful to you or to someone that you care about. Our, our helpline is 24 seven, 365. And I'm just so in awe of the volunteers who help on every single day, New Year's Day, Thanksgiving, doesn't matter, middle of the night, people are answering, um, you know, to, to be supportive and be there for people with a non-judgmental, compassionate ear. Um, so that number, so that people have it also, 877-870-4673. Um, Excellent. 
And what's the text? What's the text line? Same, same number. Okay. 877-870-HOPE. And com okay. strictly confidential, uh, yep. of course. Yep. Uh, um, tell us uh, in our closing minutes, um, if you could advise, you know, if there's a piece of advice to somebody out mm -hmm. there, both somebody personally struggling or as a family member, what would you um, say? Yeah. You know, I think two things come to mind immediately. And one is that, you know, I want loved ones to know, uh, we know how hard this is. We know that it's not as simple as we might want to think about it, that, you know, if we could just reach out to help, this wouldn't be happening. Or if we could just do something, and I say just in quotes, um, it's, uh, it's a very, very difficult set of circumstances that is often occurring. But I do, um, I, I, I do really want to encourage people that if they are struggling and if they need help, whether it's for themselves or someone they care about to call the helpline and in the most you know, urgent uh, moments to call a professional. So whether that, you know, like we said earlier, if that's you know, encouraging a young person to reach out to an adult, encouraging someone to call 911 or a therapist, um, you know, to reach out for help. Because once we, um, when someone is no longer suicidal, they are often never suicidal again. So if we can reach someone in that moment when they are thinking about suicide and we provide the right kind of help, they may never reach that point again. Um, so interesting. It's, yeah, it's really, you know, kind of, you know, what we hope. And that's not always true, you know, and I, I know that's not 100% true, but so often we can really, um, you know, provide the help that someone needs and they may never be suicidal again. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you. You've been great. I, I really, uh, I know it's a tough topic for, you know, not, I mean, this is a great show. For this you, is, no, this is a great show. This is, yeah, this is very important. This is very, very important. And, um, we, thank you, you come all back again. Of course, anytime. And you didn't scare you away. No, <laughs> no, if you'll have okay. me, we'll come back. But I want to just, you know, once again, say thank you to all of you for having this conversation and for, um, you know, being advocates for, for people who are struggling. And, you know, we're all in this together. And, you know, for me, it's really about, you know, empathy to someone else's struggle. And that's what you're all about. So thank you for allowing me this opportunity to, to talk with you. Thank you for thanking us. Thank you for thanking us. Thank you, Kathy Markey, from the executive director of the Samaritans. That is our show for the week. And uh, thanks to, again, Andy, Kathy. Mike. And by, next, no, it's not by me. next week, it's Andy will have me. a new mic. Yeah, okay. It's not me. Um, always pulling the blame. Always pulling the blame. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks to Mike Weber back at Foxborough Cable Access. Thanks to Chris Perry Long. Willie Drinkwater, and of course, Kathy Markey, the executive director of the Samaritans for coming on. If you uh, please like us on Facebook at the MAP Podcast 2020, and you can also reach out to Willie, Chris, and I. Um, I'll do what I can, but Willie and Chris could definitely help you. And, I'm going uh, to pay you to get to... some more megabytes. I'm, I'm going to pay for you to get some more megabytes. I don't know. We'll start a GoFundMe. A GoFundMe. All right. That's our show for the week. We'll see you next time. And have a great week, rest of the week, everybody. And we'll see you next time on The Map. The Map. The Map. <laughs> see you. Bye, Bye, now. Bye, Bye. Bye. Bye.